We are going to be starting chapter number two today. Hopefully everybody got their updated new copy. Uh, if you're listening online, hopefully you have requested that. If you haven't, you probably don't have one, and I would highly encourage you to send an email uh, to uh, myself or anybody you may have email access to, to in the church that can provide you a copy of it so you have it. Uh, <coughs> so a couple of things as we did as we moved into chapter one that I want to do in chapter two is uh, at the back of the book, uh, and I believe it's page 40 for you guys, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure that's true. Um, we have, uh, you know, what questions do we want to kind of grab answers to uh, as we are uh, going through this chapter? And so you can see that there, you know, what does it mean to be quickened? What does that mean? What were we in, in the past before coming to Christ? Um, uh, what does it mean that we walked according to the course of this world? What does it mean and, and who is the prince of the power of the air? Uh, who are the children of disobedience? What is the nature of wrath? What is God's love? What does it mean to be raised up in heavenly places? What exceeding riches are we going to get in ages to come? What is grace? What is faith? What is a gift? Uh, and, and again, we're looking at these things from a biblical answer, not what we would, how we might answer them. Uh, what is a workmanship? Uh, and, and what works are we ordained to walk into? What is the uncircumcision versus circumcision? Uh, what does it mean that Gentiles were without Christ? They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers from the covenants of promise. Uh, they had no hope. They were without God in the world. What does that mean? Uh, who were far off? Uh, how were Gentiles made nigh? Uh, what do we have peace from and from what? What does it mean that the middle wall of partition between us is abolished? What does it mean to make twain one new man? What is reconciliation? Who is the both that has access by one spirit unto the Father? What does it mean that we are fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God? What was built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophets? Who is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone of, or what, excuse me? What does it mean that all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple of the Lord? And what does it mean that you also are built up together for a habitation of God through the Spirit? Now, that list may seem long or, or however you, we want to word that. Uh, but what I will say is, just as we did in, 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 a, in chapter 1, how we answer those questions matter a lot. And I, I know you all know that. But how we answer those questions is going to now bring us down which path of doctrinal uh, 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 direction we're going to go, and, and, and that does matter, because we're talking about and we're looking at, um, um, again, what is the purpose of the book of Ephesians? Huh? We're, 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 we're trying to find out, and we're trying to get a biblical grasp on what this entity that is termed in the book of Ephesians, the body of Christ is. Um, so a couple things that I would direct you all to. Um, on Thursday night, uh, we started a, a, a short series uh, that, I'm going to, that I was going to do as an addendum on, on Sunday mornings, uh, but I'm going to do it through the month of September on Thursday nights instead. I highly recommend you go back and listen to those as we go through those if you're not able to make it here in person. Because we are discussing... Um, this entity, uh, uh, what we call the church. And so it, it, it does matter. It really does. And I think uh, uh, it's going to help you tremendously uh, if you take that and coincide it with what we're talking about here on, on Sunday mornings. Uh, so 
Um, with that being said, uh, let's go ahead and jump into chapter number two. My objective today... Wow, there we go. There's the boom. There's the boom. Uh, I mean, I thought something blew up there. I thought we were in trouble. Um, and I knew it was coming. That's the worst part. Um, okay. Uh, my objective today is to try to get through page one, two, and three. Let's see if we can do that. I think we can. Okay? All right. Here we go. Getting out of the graveyard. That's your fill in the blank there. Getting out of the graveyard. Having described our spiritual possessions in Christ, the Holy Ghost, and of course, in the Father, as we see on the board over there to my right, your left, having described those spiritual possessions, Paul now turns to a complementary truth, our spiritual position in Christ, okay? So first, he explained what God has done for all sinners in general. Then he explains what God did for the Gentiles in particular. That's going to be chapter number two. The sinner who trusts Christ has been raised and seated on the throne. That's verses one through 10. And believing Jews and Gentiles have been reconciled and set into the temple. That's verses 11 to 22. We are taken out of the great graveyard of sin and placed in the throne room of glory. So you remember when we were in chapter one, man, if I was going to say, okay, guys, help me for a second. What was the big term we kept saying over and over and over again when we were in chapter one? In Christ. All that goes on in chapter one is dependent on being in Christ. Okay, so obviously when we get to chapter two, that truth doesn't go away. That, that, we're building now on that truth. The next thing, now our big thing that I'm going to tell you that in this chapter is, here's what you want to grab. Here's our big phrase that we're going to use over and over and over again. New. Simple. Can somebody write down on the bottom board there? Write one in Christ. Jim, because you've got good handwriting. Or, or you can too if you want. Whatever. Just somebody write in the bottom. Number one, chapter one, in Christ. Number two, new. New. That's our big word. Okay? And, and trust me, you're going to understand why that's so important by the time we get out of this chapter. And again, like I said, we, 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 we really want to make sure we're grabbing onto the doctrinal truths from this book so that we can be correct in how we view this thing called the body of Christ. Is everybody okay with that? Does everybody want to do that? Okay. So to do that, we really got to grab on some very important truths. This book will solve a lot of doctrinal problems if we just let it say what it's saying. I mean, when we went to chapter number one, you remember there was, there was a couple pretty major doctrinal things that are going on in the churches today that we tackled, right? We, we tackled the idea of predestination and what that all is and how that coincides with what's being taught in, 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 in many of a church today uh, that's becoming rampant, and that's called uh, Calvinism or or, you know, they don't like to call it that anymore, so now we call it Reformed Theology. Whatever it is you want to call it, we've got to get a proper understanding of what actual predestination is, and we did that. And we, we tackled that. And we, 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 we proved that, if not for anything, the way they're teaching it ain't right. Right? Yep. Okay, we did that. We, we, we looked at all the different verses. I, I spent a lot of time doing that. Okay? And then the other big thing we tackled... Uh, there's a couple of them, but the other one I want to pay attention to right now is we tackle the whole idea of you can lose your salvation, okay? Uh, and of course, we would call that eternal security, okay? Do we have it or don't we? The, the question is, after we, got, after we looked at chapter one is, you did nothing to get in, there ain't nothing you're going to do to get out. If you are born again, there's no way you can lose that position. You're already in heavenly places. You're already standing before the throne, you're already there. What is God going to do? Kick you out? Okay? Let me just assure you, he's only kicked one person ever out of heaven. And that will always be the only person he ever kicks out of heaven. If you're there with him already, I can't explain that. I, that we've, me, Jim, and, and Justin have, have tackled that. Uh, and it's just one of those things, man. 
I can't explain it to you. You are certainly going to have a hard time explaining it to yourself. But all I know is, is that right now, as we speak right now, we are in heavenly places and Gary's with us. That's all I know. And any other person that is part of the body of Christ is there with us. Any loved ones that you know that is a a born-again believer that is in Christ, he's there, she's there with us right now. And if that doesn't send, if you have hairs on your back like me, if that doesn't send the hairs on your neck, whatever, up, I mean, that makes me go, whoa, that's cool. I, I can't explain it. I don't understand it. But it's the truth nonetheless as we're going to see when we get to verse number four, five, and six. The Bible says it. We're already there. And as the Bible says it, you may as well put your stamp of approval on that bad boy because God has said it, and so therefore, it is. doesn't matter if we understand it or not. It is. We kind of hit this in the last chapter, but we're really going to hit it in this chapter. I didn't really get fully into it as I would have liked to. Now this chapter, we are going to get fully into it. And what we're going to get into and why we put up there new is because there is a very, very popular teaching in the church today. Listen, do whatever you want. Believe me or not, okay? Take me at my word or go check it out yourself. I am not trying to be an attacker of other churches. What I am an attacker of is false doctrine. That I will do. Now, if you want to say I'm attacking other churches because they're teaching it, that's up to you to decide that. I'm not. What I'm attacking is false doctrine. If it's wrong, it is my obligation as your pastor to make sure you know why it's wrong. And number two, it's my obligation to hate every false way. Because I guarantee you God does. I guarantee it, okay? Here's, the, here's the, the next big thing that we really need. It's called replacement theology. It's called replacement theology. And if you understand what's going on in chapter 2, you will then understand how ridiculously wrong it is. It is. And, okay, what is replacement theology? In case you've never heard that or you don't really understand what that is, it's also been termed covenant theology, okay? What it is, is saying that God got so fed up with Israel that he got to the place where he was done with them and he gave all of their promises that he made to them in the Old Testament to the church in the New Testament. So everything given to Israel is now given to us. We have replaced, replacement theology, Israel, Okay? There's a lot of things we're going to say about that as we move forward. But let me just start with here. If God replaced Israel, who's to say he can't replace us too? Keep that in the back of your mind. Why why am I hammering this so hard? I'm telling you, you can believe me if you want. You can not believe me. You can do whatever you want. But I'm telling you, with every ounce of being that I have in me, 95% of churches out there teach some form of replacement theology. You can argue with me. You can tell me I'm wrong. You can tell me how can I make that statement. I can make that statement because it's true. It's true. If you know we're a church, I don't care if a church calls itself non-denominational. I get why they do that. I understand it. I understand the statement they're trying to make by doing it. Okay? We're right. I agree 100%. Denominations are not biblical. I agree with that more than anybody could ever agree with that. I agree with that. It's not. You will not find the Presbyterian Church in the Bible. You will not find the Roman Catholic Church in the Bible. You will not find the Baptist Church in the Bible. I agree with that 100%. No doubt about it. And if you want to call yourself non-denominational making that standpoint, I understand what it is you're trying to, your statement that you're trying to make. However, regardless of what you want to call yourself, regardless whether you want to put a denominational name on your uh, uh, front of your uh, uh, sign in in front of your church or not, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, let me look at what your belief statement is, and I'll tell you which denomination you're coming from. You can call yourself non-denominational all day long. It doesn't matter. 
What is your belief system? What is your, this is what we believe. Let's start reading that. And if you're privy enough, huh? how about that word? That was a good one. I like that. Did I use it right, Amy? Good, thank you. Did I say it right? Good, all right. Good, I'm, I'm moving up in the world. This is good. Chapter two, we're, 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 we're gaining ground here. Listen, if you're privy enough to understand, I even use it again, look at that. If you're if, if, privy again, I'm saying it again. Uh, I, I can do this for the next hour. Listen, seriously though, if, if you have enough know-how, in case you don't know what privy means, some of you are sitting there going, what does privy mean? I don't even know what that means. Okay, if you have enough know-how of your Bible to be able to take a look at a doctrinal statement uh, that is on a church website, by the way, including ours, okay, if you have enough know-how, you're going to be able to read it and go, okay, I can tell you what they teach, I can tell you what they believe. Now, most people, and no disrespect, most people can't do that. And that's not a, that's not a shot at you, uh, you know, as your pastor, that's my job is to make sure I know those things. I spent a lot of time and a lot of study into those things so that I can be able to look at a website and go, okay, I can tell you what they teach. Uh, just give me five minutes. And if any of you ever had a conversation with me, um, and we've ever done that together, I've done that with quite a few people, uh, you'd go, yeah, okay. I wouldn't have noticed that when I looked at that, but now that you're pointing it out, I do see what you're saying now, and okay. With all that being said, I am telling you with everything I have in me, I don't like that it's true. I don't want it to be true. I am not saying it because I want to say we're better than anybody else. But at the end of the day, truth is truth. Most churches are replacement theology. That's what they're teaching. Some form of it in some way, shape, or form. This is what I've got to say to that. Okay? Just hear me out. This is what I've got to say to that. Forget what I'm saying. Forget the fact that I'm coming against it. Forget all of that. Just listen to what Jesus said about it. Not once, but twice. They that say they are Jews are what? Synagogue of Satan. I didn't say it. Why am I so against it? Because there's no doubt about it, Jesus says. To the point he called it the synagogue of Satan. Whether we either got to do something with that or we can sit there and point the finger at me and say that I'm just a bad guy because I call out other churches. You do whatever you want with that information. I'm just telling you, if they are teaching that, that is the synagogue of Satan because it is wrong. It is wrong to the core. And this chapter will prove it among anything else. This chapter will prove it. If you understand what is going on between verses 11 to verses number 21, right, Jim? Yep. Right, Justin? Yep. We've gone through. If you understand what it, who is in shape and how this thing rolls, and if you just read what it's actually saying, you will realize that replacement theology is an absolute wrong doctrine. Because then th th those 10 verses become, well, what do they mean then if they don't mean that? Okay? All right. Let me read, uh, let's read the first three verses. Now remember, he's coming off of what he just said about, hey, hey, you have the same power in you that rose Jesus from the grave. You were meant for something. Okay? That's what he's coming off of. That was the big point he was making in verses 19 through 23 of the last chapter. We spent a lot of time talking about that. Not, not, it, so what I'm trying to say is we're not starting something new. He's coming off of that now. We've entered chapter 2. He's not giving us a new thought. He's coming off of that. And he says, eh, and you, if you're what? Thank you. All right, good. We got some people paying attention, right? And you, if you're in Christ, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. What were you in times past? What does that say there? You were what? Dead? What else? I mean, there's a bunch of stuff here. We were children of disobedience. We were children of wrath. We were walking in disobedience. What, right? Listen. Okay. If we just allow that to say what it's saying, is everybody children of God? Is everybody born in his image? The answer is an obvious no. Because Paul's telling us that's what we were. And, and by the way, notice what he said there. We were. What's Paul? Paul's a what? A Jew. He's writing to who? Gentiles. So now go back to Romans chapter 3. We talked about this last night in our study. Right? If we go back to Romans chapter 3, come on. It's, we are all, everybody, Jew and Gentile are none good no not one all of us have come short of the glory of god all of us are sinners it don't matter if you're a jew it don't matter if you're a gentile it don't matter who you are before coming to christ this is what you were you were not children of god you were not made in his image you were not any of those things i don't care what a person tells you or what a church teaches you if, the, if we were all children of God, and if we were all made in the image of God, then pull out these three verses, please. You need to pull them out. Because it's obviously proving we weren't. Hey, I'm just for, I'm just for correct doctrine. How about you guys? Are we okay with that? Now, y'all know that you've heard that growing up. You've all know, oh, we're all children of God. Oh, we're, we're, we're all made. We were, both, we were made in the image of God. No, we were not. No, we were not. We were made in the image of Adam. Let's get that right. Let's get that right. There's a reason why God is trying to transform us back into his image. Because we're not in his image right now. If we were all made in the image of God, then pull Romans 8 out of your Bible now. Yep. Because that's what Romans 8 is all about. Yep. Okay? Uh, so again, uh, I don't care what other people teaching. I don't care how popular there is. I don't even care what we teach if it's wrong. If it's right, it's right. Let's get it right. Because it does make a difference. Okay, in your book, Course of This World, verse 1 through 3, what, it's, it's talking about what we used to be, what we used to be. And then verses 4 through 7 talks about, but now this is what you are. So last night, we were, we were talking about these verses, okay, in our study, uh, some very interesting questions came up, and we were, we were kind of navigating through those, and, and we had a couple of folks, you know, we were talking about this, what we, were, what we used to be kind of thing, and they kept wanting to say, but, but, I said, no, hold on to the butt. Wait, we're not there yet. Let's make sure we understand what we were. We have to make sure we understand what we were. Most Christians do not really truly understand what we were. You're never going to know what you really can be until you find out what you really were. Right? Chris brought up the point that what we say around here a lot, a lot is you're going to never know just how saved you are and until you find out and realize just how lost you really were. Yeah, that's right. You got to know that. Yeah. You got to know what you were. Because I promise you, I promise you, what you were doesn't go away just because you get saved. That flesh problem is still going to dwell up. Paul talked all about it. It didn't go away. Now, but, God in his mercy, but in his great kindness towards us, what I will say is, he doesn't see it anymore. That part of it is like, amen. But it doesn't mean we still aren't going to struggle with it and still have problems with it. 
got to know what you were before you're ever going to be able to be what it is you can be uh, through him. All right, so what were we? We're going to look at that today for the remainder of our, our time here. Uh, verses 1 through 3. We were dead in sin. Ephesians 2.1 again. And you have he quickened and were dead in trespasses and sins. So, uh, obviously, the fill in the blank there, you probably all can figure this out now. We were dead. And you go, wait a minute. I'm not dead. What are you talking about? I was dead. I wasn't dead. Yes, you were. Yes, I was. We were. Of course, this means we were spiritually dead. That is, we were unable to understand spiritual things. This person who is dead in their uh, sins, possesses no spiritual life. Got to go back. This went too early. Uh, no, no spiritual life. He can do nothing of himself to please God. That is what being dead is. Uh, uh, they are unable to, do, to uh, 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 do anything that will please God. God in any way, shape, or form. Just as a person physically dead uh, cannot respond to physical stimuli. That's a big, right? Yep. If you're dead and I slap you in the face, is it going to matter? No. You ain't going to care. You're dead. Y'all got that? Okay. Just as a person who's dead couldn't respond to physical stimuli, so a person spiritually dead is unable to respond to spiritual things. Okay, now, if any of this is foreign to you, or if you think any of this is, well, all you need to do is go read 1 Corinthians 2, and then you'll be on the same page with what I'm telling you right now. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 2. Okay, uh, uh, the cause of this spiritual death is what? Trespasses and sins. That's the problem. And of course, Romans 6.23 tells us what the wages of trespasses and sin is. Death. Well, here's a connection now. Not only, uh, 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 well, in the Bible, death means separation. That's what the word means. So when you talk about death, way to say that now that i'm reading that the soul that would be the better way to say it your soul is separated from your body at physical death you die your soul leaves the physical body same thing happens with our spiritual death our soul is separated from god okay the only way Biblically, to get your soul back in fellowship with God where you're not separated from Him is to be born again. John chapter 3. I didn't use the words. I'm just telling you what you need to do. Okay, This is what the Bible teaches. Okay, When somebody is born again, what they've done is they've bypassed the physical birth. Now... They have had a spiritual birth. That spiritual birth gains you access to the Father. Is, everybody, is this good? Does everybody understand what I'm saying here? Because this is important. This is salvation we're talking about right now. And what that means is you have been quickened. That word quickened means made alive. You were dead. You accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You accepted the death, burial, and resurrection according to Paul's gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. You have repented of your sin. You have put your faith and trust in Christ. Did you do anything? No. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Huh? Now you are alive. You've been quickened. Spiritually, the Holy Ghost 
moves inside of you, you can now pick up a Bible, King James Bible, and you can now start to understand it if you give yourself to it. You couldn't before that. There might be little things you grab, but there's no way you could. You couldn't. Don't argue with God. He's not going to give you the ability to do that in an unsaved place. You cannot understand your body. That's why it scares me, or at least at best concerns me, when somebody says, man, I read my Bible all the time. I can't understand it. Well, <laughs> either <laughs> the reason why you can't understand it is because you're not saved, or you have seriously suppressed the Spirit. You've grieved Him. And, and, and I don't know which one it is, but I'm going to go, I'm going to lean, if I'm going to be safe, I'm going to lean on what, what one would concern me more than the other one. Yeah. And that is you're not saved. We've we got to get that thing right. We've got to get that thing right. Do, do, do you all see why this is so important? I mean, listen, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when it comes to salvation, we've got to get this right. We have to. Uh, Isaiah 59.2 uh, the prophet writes, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So you have an unsaved person, and they pray to God. Did God hear? Don't get mad at me. I'm just reading the verse. What does it say? What does that say? He will not hear. He does not hear a sinner. You say, why? That's just mean. No, it's not. No, it's not. Why would it be mean? Why would God pay attention to a sinner? You need to understand what you are. You need to understand your situation and just how dire it is. God wants nothing to do with sinners. Nothing. You say, Pastor, that's awful. Why would you say that? I'm saying that because it's true. But God. But what God what? Huh? Even yet, while you were sinners, he died for you. Why? So that you can continue to be a sinner? No. No. In your absolute worst state, in your absolute dire need. In your, did he die for you because he loved you for what you were? No. He died for you in spite of what you were. You got, that sounds so, such a simple little twisting of the word, but it changes everything to understand it truthfully, biblically. God does not want or care about what you were because what you were was a sinner that had no ability, no chance to please him that could not be in fellowship with him. So, so as only God could do, he loved you so much that he died to pay the price that you deserve to pay so that he could have a relationship with you. Yeah. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? It needs to make sense because it is the dividing line between true Christianity and Laodicean Christianity. Because Laodicean Christianity, who doesn't understand that, still somewhere in our warped minds believe this is somehow still all about us. You did nothing. You could do nothing. You were nothing. You want to know what you were? If we're just going to be honest, you want to know what you were prior to being in Christ? Do you want to know what you were? You were a dead lump of clay that's going to be just as worthless as the dust of the ground. And you look at that and you go, come on, man, that's just mean. What was the curse back in Genesis 3? Back to the ground. You're going to go. Just You were made out of it, and now you're going to go back to it. That's all you were. That's all we were. And I know that 
sounds so horrifically bad, and we just look at that and go, but that's what we were. We were dead lumps of clay. We were dead men and women walking, worthless to God. You can believe that because the Bible says it, or you cannot believe that. That really isn't for me to decide for you. I am just telling you that is what your Bible tells you. That's what you were. Everything you are, if you are, she got it. You caught up after you heard her. <laughs> Everything we are in Christ is because of you. No. Not even close. It's because of him. And when you get to the place in your life where you actually get that and understand that, then you're going to get to the place where you realize what this is really all about. You're, that's all of us. It's, it's, it's where we need to get. We need to get to the place. That's why we at this church, man, it may sound like we hammer this a lot and we're Debbie Downers and we're always calling out people and we're always doing this and we're always doing that and blah, I can't believe Pastor Frank, man. He's all... Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I hate to be the gross man right now, but if you took the Hebrew behind filthy rags, do you know what he's saying? Your used menstrual cloth. There you go. I didn't say it. God said, your righteousness is as used menstrual cloth. Filthy rags. Well, uh, better, not, better not pay attention to my righteousness, because that ain't going to get me nowhere, obviously. What do you do with a used menstrual cloth? I'm just asking. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm trying to get us. God uses mental pictures. He uses similitudes to, to show us stuff. So let's use it. He used it. Let's use it. What would you do with Would you take a used menstrual cloth, and would you put it up on your little fireplace there and say, ha, ah, look at that. Ha. Ah. Would you do that? What you going to do, man? You want to know what you do with a used menstrual cloth? You flush it down the toilet, man, because it's, it's... No, you don't. Well, see, I'm not a girl. Okay, you don't do that, apparently. What I know is, is you don't keep it, you get rid of it. You discard it in any way you can. Matter of fact, it's so bad, you ain't even going to done show your husband it. Or your boyfriend. Like, he ain't going to walk out and go, hey, boyfriend, hey, hey, husband, look what I got, huh? No. It's disgusting. It's gross. It's bad. You want to get rid of it, right? Can I just tell you, that's your sin. That's your sin. That's how God sees your sin. You have to understand how God, just like your boyfriend or your husband wouldn't want to see that junk, God doesn't want to see it. We got to get to the place where we get that. Because, man, we can very, very easily justify our sins. We're so good at it, and we can really get to a place where we just go, well, I don't do anything wrong. Eh, you know, maybe I do one thing wrong, but everything else is good. I don't care if you do one thing wrong or a hundred things wrong. It doesn't matter. It's still the same thing. It's still the same thing. What does James say? You sin at one point, you're guilty of all. And I promise you, we've all sinned in one point. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we've sinned in more than one point. If we're really going to be honest with ourselves, the reality is we probably sin every single day. And it's just the reality of it. And we need to understand how God sees that. Now, does that mean that we go, oh my gosh, don't be downer. Oh, I'm just this horrible sinner. No. What it does help us do is understand what we are. and helps us understand how we need to grow. Hey, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Let's, if we can take one more step forward today than we made yesterday, we're making an improvement in our lives. We're starting to be what God wants us to be so that he can use us for what he wants us to use us for. But if we just sit there and constantly go, well, I suck. All right. God ain't ever going to be able to use me. 
Okay, so let me get this straight. He can raise Jesus from the dead. He can create the universe, but he can't use you. He can use you. Just stop. Stop. Start being what, he trans what he's trans trying to transform you into. And then you'll see the results. Everybody good with that? All right. Letter A here. The power of Christ's resurrection is required according to Paul's gospel. Let me repeat that. Is required according to Paul's gospel. It's not if we get around it. It's not if I hope it happens. It's not any of it. It's, it is required. The power of Christ's resurrection is required. So we can say it like this. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then Christianity is worthless. And you go, well, that's a pretty harsh statement to say. I didn't say it. Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. If, if Christ didn't resurrect from the dead, then we're all most men miserable. Let's just do whatever we got to do because who cares? It, it is the linchpin to Christianity. But let me add, if he rose Jesus from the dead, he also can rise you from the dead. Yep. Do you understand? 2 Timothy 2.8, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. You cannot have any, underline any, you cannot have any of the glorious power. Everything I got on the board right there for you? Okay. You cannot have any of it without Christ's resurrection. You, you have to have it. You cannot have any of the glorious power without the resurrection. It is important. It is the importance of understanding and grabbing onto what is Paul's gospel. Why? Because there is no Christianity without it. There's none. Everything that we're reading in Ephesians, everything you read in Colossians and, 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 and Philippians and, and, and Galatians and all the church, all of it is worthless. All of it is none effect. None of it means anything without the power of the resurrection. And it's not just Jesus who resurrected. If you are born again, so did you. If any man be in Christ, he is a... What did I, what did I say chapter 2 is all about? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Because that resurrection power is in you. This is how we start to begin to understand what we really are in Christ. It's important to understand what we are in him, don't you think? I would think that it is. Paul spends an awful lot of time talking about it, being inspired by the Spirit. The Spirit spends an awful lot of time talking about it. It must be important. It must be. Letter B, quicken. Quicken. What does that mean? It means to give life. It means to move. In other words, move your position. Okay? Your position was dead. Now you've been moved to living. Okay? It, it, it means to revive. You've been revived, if you will. John 5.21 says this, For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them. Even so, the Son quickeneth whom he will. Okay? Uh, Romans 8, 11, Paul says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, but, but if, not, you get it? No. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the Spirit that dwells in you. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. What Adam was supposed to do and failed, Christ did and did not fail. 
Does that make sense? Being quickened has to do with a raising up. It is a giving of life. It has to do with raising up. It's a giving of life. Adam was alive physically, but he could not make the dead live again. He was supposed to, but he failed. Now all he does is bring forth dead men. And he said, what is that? Okay, that's great. Well, I don't care what Adam does. We all come from Adam. As in Adam, all die. Did you hear that? Let me just repeat that. As in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all can be made alive. Huh? How are you dead if you're still breathing? <laughs> I mean, we sit there and we go, well, I'm not dead, I'm still breathing. What are you talking about here? Well, let's let the Bible talk about this. James 1, 14 through 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay, so when Paul says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, that means all have sinned. What does sin bring forth? Death. Ephesians 4.18, we aren't there yet, but it says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They don't know God. They're alienated from Him. Their understanding is darkened. They're blind, and therefore they are dead. Colossians 1.21 says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in, the, in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, and he goes on to say, being quickened, made alive. Remember now the trinity of man. Remember the trinity of man. First Thessalonians 5.23, uh, Paul talks about, he says, Very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. So, what happened on the day of salvation? What was sanctified? The day you were born again, what was sanctified? Justification. When you were justified, what, what was, of the three points, you have a body, a soul, and a spirit. What was sanctified? Your soul was. Your soul was, okay. What, what is sanctification all about? Getting your body and your spirit sanctified. Whose job is that? That's where people don't get it. They lose this, man. They don't understand this. And they just can't grab onto the biblical realities that surround it. Who's responsible for the justifying of your soul? Jesus is. Who's responsible for the justifying of your flesh, your body, and your spirit? You are. i.e. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. You are. You now need to work out your own salvation. Now, he takes your dead spirit and makes it alive. I will agree with that. But how you go, how you interact, you know, what does it say? Walk in the... Why? Because you can still walk in... And your spirit. Your spirit can still control we did a whole series when we looked at mind body spirit remember that i spent a whole lot of time talking about that but look what he says here and i pray god your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our lord jesus christ okay so i pray your whole spirit the trinity of man spirit that's the holy spirit right and soul that's the Father, and body. Who had a body? But I know the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity. I got it. Doesn't teach that at all. Yeah, well, it's only in you too. Okay, but doesn't teach it. I got it. No, yes, it does. And we want all three of those parts to be aligned with God. Of course, Hebrews 4.27, uh, yeah, I 
don't know what I just said there. Hebrews 4.12 goes on to say, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, because here's what the word of God can do that I can't do or anybody, for that matter, can do. Here's what the word of God can do. It can pierce even to the divining, d- dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. Joints and marrow would be your body. <laughs> And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wait a minute. This book is a discerner of your thoughts and intents of your heart? No, it's just a book. <laughs> if all you see this is just as a book, yeah. yeah you know, let's go back to that whole, you can't understand this thing. No, 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 no. This is more than just a book. It can discern your thoughts and the intents of your heart. God has made man from the dust of the ground. That's where you got your body. He breathed into him the spirit of life. That body was dead until God breathed into him the spirit of life. And when that happened, he became a living soul. Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 7. If you want a reference point to what I just said. After the fall of man, something drastically took place as lust comes forth from the inner man and brings forth sin, which makes us spiritually dead. That leads us to physical death. Sin corrupts. Sin corrupts. God no longer gives Life eternal. Hence, this is why the life in the flesh is now in the blood, which is corrupted as well, which will bring forth again physical death. You all, most of you have been around here, you've heard me say this before, but I, I just want to reiterate it because I think it's a very important truth. There's only one thing in your body you cannot live without and it cannot be artificial there's only one thing listen can you live without a heart yes you can because you can have a artificial heart can, can, can you live when you're brain dead yes your body's still alive you're not up running around or anything i get you that but but you're still alive aren't you you can be brain dead and your body's still alive What is it that's in your body that cannot be artificial and has to be 100% pure? Your blood. You can't have artificial blood. Anybody ever heard of anybody getting an artificial blood transplant? No, you can't. Blood is what keeps you alive. There's the key to all of this. You can live without an arm. You can live without eyes. Bill knows that. You can live without... uh, You can live without anything you have in your body. You don't need any of it to be what it originally was because you can have a replacement, you can have whatever. But the one thing that's in your body that cannot be, it can be replaced with other blood, but it cannot be replaced. It cannot be artificial. It has to be blood. It's what keeps you alive. If I took the blood out of you, what would happen? You'd be dead. Y'all with me on this? Okay, but here's the, here's the interesting reality to that. The one thing that's keeping you alive is the one thing that's killing you. Yeah. You want to know why? Because it's corrupted. Your blood is corrupted. That's a medical fact. It's why you're going to die. It's why I'm going to die. Our blood's going to come to the point where it has corrupted our body enough that our body can't withstand it anymore. We're going to grow old and we're going to die. If you get that far. Some people don't get that far. Could, could cause other problems in your body. Like cancer or, or whatever other things that, that ail us. Do you understand? There's something about all of this. There's something uh, uh, very biblical about all of this. Listen, sin corrupts. It corrupts. Uh, Notice when God made Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.23, 
pay very close attention. It says, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. When he's talking about how Eve came out of him, Adam, and he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What did he not say? He didn't mention nothing about blood. Huh? He says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because he was taken out of me. Did Adam and Eve, when they were created, did they have blood? The answer is no, they didn't. The life was in, Genesis 2, 7, the spirit breathing into man the breath of life. That's what Genesis 2, 7 says. Okay, well, what happened? What happened? Well, Adam and Eve decided eating of the fruit was a good idea. And when they ate of the fruit, what does the Bible say? Just like God said, if you eat of, you can eat any tree of the garden you want, but if you eat of that tree, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Isn't that what he said? Okay, let me ask you a question. The day Adam and Eve ate of that tree, did they surely die? Well, they certainly didn't surely die physically. So what happened? They died spiritually. When Adam was walking through that garden and God came to go see where he was, Adam tried to hide what he had done and was trying to hide himself from God. And God said, where are you? Like, I'm being Adam alive. They no longer have the spirit of God, which gives eternal life. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. When Adam ate of that fruit, when Eve ate of that fruit, there was something in that fruit, I believe it was grapes. And what happened is it started to course through their body. What was that? Blood. And blood is, and now they're going to physically die. And what does Leviticus 17.11 now tell us? For the life of the flesh is in the blood. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. So how is God going to ultimately solve this dilemma? Now do you understand why Jesus Christ dying on the cross and spilling his perfect blood is so important? Because that was the only thing that he could do to atone our problem. It's the only thing you could do. Sins, trespasses, and iniquities make you dead. We've talked about this already. The word death means a separation. Physical death is separation from the body by which there is the result of sin. Again, verses for you, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that be Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6.23 tells us, assuredly, that for the wages of sin is death. Romans 8.10 tells us, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one that solved the sin problem. He's the one that had to spill his perfect righteous blood to solve the, the, the sin problem. Now, let me ask you this and let's just let the ball drop here just to grab this. If, if Jesus was born of a man could he have perfect righteous blood? Do you understand why it had to be the virgin birth now? Do you know where a baby, when it's conceived, gets his blood from? We all think it comes from the mama. No, it does not. It comes from the man. Matter of fact, matter of fact, that is part of the reason for the placenta. And so that mama's blood never intermixes with, that's a medical miracle. 
it's almost like, how do, I, what I want to know is how these boys back here who wrote this book knew that. They didn't come up with such a crazy idea. They didn't. They didn't. Okay, what mark? What mark are we missing? God's mark. You know, if you ever played darts, there's a bullseye there. Okay, we're not even on the bullseye table. When we throw the dart, it doesn't, it, not only did it not hit the bullseye, or not only did it not hit the, 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 the board itself, you threw that dart behind you, hitting somebody in the head back there. Okay, that's what happened there. Your dart just went whoop, back, back, not even close. We missed the mark. What is a transgression? It is when you have crossed the line, the law, and broken the rules, trespasses that God has put forth. I want to make sure you understand the difference between a sin and a, tra tra a transgression. And I want to make sure you understand what the difference is between sin and iniquity. Because in the Bible, you'll see those three different terms. Don't just assume that transgression means sin or iniquity means sin. Yes, they are all together and they feed on one another. Absolutely. But there is something different going on in a sin opposed to a transgression and an iniquity. Iniquity... It is a sin or a crime against God, but now we've, we've trumped it to the fact of now we are just flat out unrighteousness. It's just straight up unrighteousness. So, so what you've got is you've got sin, transgression, iniquity. Iniquity has to do with his righteousness versus your righteousness. Transgression has to do with his law, you trespassing his law. Sin has to do with, you've done missed the mark. You, you, you've just done missed the mark. Is that good? Does everybody understand that? Now, what I'll tell you is, as you're reading your Bible, you'll see those different terminologies. Hopefully you'll remember, oh yeah, I remember when we talked about this. Go back and, and look at the definitions of these things and then read that definition into what you're reading and you're going to go, oh my gosh, wow, that really helps me understand this verse. Because it will. I promise you it will. Look what time it is. Huh? Even Ray's going, this cannot be. There's no way this guy has kept, there's no way he's kept to it two days in a row now. Thursday and Sunday, huh? I'm done. I'm going to pray right now. Father, we come before you, Lord. We just want to thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, who you are. Thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, uh, man, it's such a privilege to be able to stand up here uh, and, and preach it. Lord, help me never to uh, uh, underestimate that I don't deserve to be up here. Uh, Lord, uh, I certainly don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to be in front of these people. I don't deserve to lead your people. Uh, Lord, but uh, I am grateful and thankful that you saw 
me fit to do. Lord, help us all to remember that we don't deserve anything that you've given to us. There's nothing on this planet that you uh, have to give us, uh, Lord. Uh, you have given it to us freely by your own free will as a gift and help us understand what that means for us and, and how we should not squander those things. Lord, I thank you for this church. Uh, I thank you for what you're doing in and through it. Uh, Lord, uh, as we uh, are seeing this world seemingly, seeing even the United States seemingly fall apart around us, Lord, help us to remember that you will never fall apart, that you have planned this from the get-go. Everything that happens is happening by your watch. You know exactly what's going on, and it's all leading uh, to where uh, you are going to one day come and make all of this right. Lord, help us uh, just be a little... Uh, and, and, and provide a little piece of what that's going to look like in the here and now, uh, because as you live inside of us, we have the ability to do that. Lord, we do love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, amen. amen.